RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. It's Thursday morning at RCR, and that's, of course, our Money Talks morning with Farzan Arani. A lot of people making a date for this feature every Thursday morning. Farzan, good to have you back. Yeah, good morning, uh, Paul. Yes, I've heard people um, seem to be downloading it and listening to the radio chat while they're cooking dinner on Thursday nights. Yeah, uh, just, to, just to cheer them up, right? <laughs> hey, um, it's it's become a weekly ritual for some people from the feedback I'm getting, so it's all good, man. I'm happy to contribute. No, I saw someone say it's a must to listen, so that's uh, that's great. All right, so we've had um, a few emails and texts come in. Do you want to sort of speak to those before we start getting into what we're we'll be chatting about in this money talks yeah i've got i've got a bit of uh feedback obviously uh from uh your production team and stuff so some people are reaching out and saying how do we get in touch with him so let's just make it a point to mention um in the start it's success simplified dot life uh so please scroll down to the end of the page and you can say contact us and send through some information so it comes through to me and i can have a look at that and get in touch with people uh so it's success simplified dot life uh and just get in touch with me there's also some feedback that's coming in from uh, people asking uh about our interest rate conversation last week and stuff so hopefully we'll get into that at a later stage today um because I had mentioned to people. So yesterday's uh, Reserve Bank of New Zealand's official cash rate announcement is going to affect the New Zealand dollars we've seen. And as we speak, uh, it's already in the 59 uh, handle compared to the 60 point something. So people will start seeing that what I've mentioned is uh, now falling into place. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. So um, I've noticed that the currency has weakened because I do make overseas payments for um, some charity work I'm doing, some legal work being done overseas. And I've noticed that uh, latest payment, I'm paying more in New Zealand dollars because I'm paying US dollars ultimately. So that's become obvious to me. Yes. And and this is what I think I've highlighted to the listeners as well. We've got to understand everything around the world happens in US dollars. Everything is benchmarked. So the US dollar is the benchmark for everything. Uh, whether it's fruits and vegetables or whether it's oil or whether it's car parts, generally everything is in, even if you're buying something from China, you've got to pay them in Australian dollars, uh, sorry, US dollars. So you've got to convert your currency. So uh, when I was in banking, commercial corporate banking, we have bigger clients where we have hedging. Um, I, I mentioned a little bit, if you think you're gonna, the, the dollar is going to fall or stuff. So you have hedges in place. A hedge is a way to, to reduce your risk exposure if the New Zealand dollar drops too much or the Australian dollar drops too much. Uh, so they have caps and banks obviously charge you a fee or a risk premium on that to have those kind of facility in place. But if I'm Australia, New Zealand importer and I have to import, I have to convert it into US dollars to buy this stuff. So it costs me a lot more New Zealand dollars. In fact, I can give you an example. I had a big client in Australia uh, where they used to import furniture and then that from from uh, Asia. And then it used to get uh, put in shops like Harvey Norman's and the likes. And every time the Australian dollar dropped, now he assumed the Australian dollar was going to be strong, which was the case after the global financial crisis. Um, and it pretty much ate away into $400,000 of their profit as the Australian dollar started dropping because they had no hedges in place. So the bigger businesses have to have these things in place uh, where they have a, ceiling so to speak of how much they'll pay for the us dollar and they pay a risk premium to the bank in that case now uh, smaller customers like us our smaller consumers don't have that facility 
Uh, so unfortunately, it's going to hurt the common man and smaller businesses as well. Okay, so um, again, connecting the dots, I read uh, last week that there um, have been record insolvencies in recent times anyway in Australia. I've been reading that uh, Country Garden, which is, I think, the largest, one of the largest, if not the largest property developer in China, cratering. Their stock is down 70% this year, 20% just in the last week. that They can't uh, pay their bonds, which are due. They've asked for another three years. And they have just such an awesome number of projects in process. Huge number of people, I think 70,000 employed by the company. The um, sums are eye-watering up in the nearly 200 billion due right now. So that's happening. Also, on a smaller scale, I see a very familiar food brand here. People would have seen them at airports around the uh, city. Wishbone has gone into liquidation all of a sudden. Is this some kind of pattern that we can join dots? We're starting to see... You know this uh, insolvency and uh, and business collapse starting to happen in multiple places at all scales. You know, from the smallest through to the biggest. Yes, you're correct. So the common sense thing is what connects small businesses, big businesses, or in whichever country, is your cost to service debt. And what we've seen, and as I've highlighted to the listeners, they reduced interest rates, a forty-year trend all the way close to zero, and in Europe and Japan in negative interest rates, the trend has turned. So that means when interest rates go up, businesses have to service that debt. So if the cost to service your debt keeps going up and up, um, it squeezes your margins and then you go bust eventually. So this is a trend globally. Uh, it has started. Our listeners will be able to say, I, I knew this was coming in May or June of 2023, where some people say, oh, how did this come about at the end of 2023 or start of 2024? Because there are signs. And the debt servicing thing has become so bad, Matt, is uh, we've started a few things. Let's, let's cover a few things. The first thing is when you can't service the debt, as I said, when interest rates are too low, there are zombie companies. They're, they're companies that take on, they call zombie companies because they take on debt which they can never afford to pay back let alone the interest. So now when if you were if a bank gave you $100 million loan and you could service it at 1%, but now in America the interest rates are 5 or 6%, you can't even afford to pay the interest back, let alone the principal. So these are zombie companies which are going bust. And it's not just Australia, because I'd mentioned the Australian builders, so many builders going bust. You mentioned Wishbone, which is a well-known brand in New Zealand. But there's there's massive, massive numbers of uh, uh, bankruptcies uh, going on in Europe and America. And unfortunately, the New Zealand media is not covering any of this. So people would know what's coming. Uh, but another example, I think I mentioned last week as well, was um, I, I mentioned how the New Zealand um, Reserve Bank of New Zealand and the New Zealand government was talking about getting the uh, BNPL, which is the buy now, pay later companies, under uh, the triple CFA, but yeah. they weren't going to actually check if the people could afford paying these back. Now, there's something I've read just recently in Australia. The buy now, pay laters, and there's a company called Splitted Payments, which has breached its governance. And I, and I, again, I'm just slowing down a little bit because I mentioned when you're in commercial banking uh, and you're giving loans, there's covenants put in place which are tested either quarterly or six monthly. 
And this company, which does buy now, pay later, called Splitted Payments, has breached its covenants with Goldman Sachs. So it is about to go bust. Uh, It is about to be delisted from the Australian Stock Exchange. And just to give our listeners some perspective, it has gone from 12. So what we call the fintechs had become such a big fad when interest rates were close to zero. After the global financial crisis, everyone wanted to be in fintech, and that was the next new big thing. They've gone from 12 uh, buy now, pay later companies uh, listed on the stock exchange or fintech players down to two. So that tells you on the Australian Stock Exchange alone, there's been 10 delisted companies. Wow. And and just to give listeners an idea, the market cap of these companies was close to 85 billion billion at one stage. And it's now down to 500 million, which is half. So it's gone from 85 billion to half a billion. That's um, that's like the elevator falling from the top floor to the basement, isn't it? That is it. So you lost ninety nine percent of the value if you invested your superannuation or anything. So so how have companies. they come unstuck, Farzan? Because presumably people were using the service, but what they weren't able to pay in the end is that is that what tripped them up? Well, as I said, everyone only has so much disposable income, right? So if I'm a consumer and I bought a pair of hundred dollar shoes. Over four installments. The first time I did that, I thought it was easy because I only had to pay eighty uh, twenty-five dollars a week, um, and I got into the bigger and bigger items. Maybe I started buying something for three, four hundred dollars, and I could still afford it. Um, but at that stage, maybe my mortgage payment was sitting at only five hundred dollars a right, week. Right, gotcha. But now, because interest rates have gone up, and my mortgage payments are seven hundred and fifty a week. Food is more expensive. Petrol is more expensive. What I thought was I had money to pay for these buy now, pay later schemes. I don't give a damn. They can come and pick up the pair of shoes or whatever it is. Um, I'm not paying it. So there's defaults on one side. But the other thing is this company itself. Because what I'm doing is let, let, let's just think through this. What, what happens if I buy a pair of shoes over four weeks, but the company lets me buy it now? So I'm buying a $100 pair of shoe, and let's say I'm buying it from Adidas. I'm just throwing a stupid example. But yep. the company might pay the, the 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 store. Let's say it's Rebel Sport. I'm, so the company, the buy now, pay later company, is paying maybe $97 or $95 for a $100 shoe because it is paying the money to the Rebel Sport now. And it is yep. collecting it over four weekly payments or four monthly payments from the company. So they've had to upfront that that money upfront that so they've borrowed it from somewhere to allow the consumer to have it now and they have to pay interest on that money right so their cost has gone up as well because they were doing this at one percent two percent interest rates or whatever it was i don't know what it was but it's gone from maybe two percent up to seven eight percent now in australia so if i have to let you buy a hundred dollar shoe and i have to make a return place salaries for my executives office space all of that I just can't afford it anymore. I've yeah. breached my covenants. So I'm in and, and there's no point in getting the shoes back because what can you do with that? Exactly. So that's not collateral. And that's why we say banks love your houses because it's still bricks and mortar. It's a house. Somebody needs to live in a house. So that's the easiest collateral. The cars are easy collaterals because even if you make a loss, you can sell them off. Somebody needs a car somewhere. Yeah. Um, so cars get repossessed and dropped off at Turner's or something like that. A house, commercial space, not so much because uh, that's very uh, user uh, specific. 
But we're starting to see the signs, might, and this is what I'm saying. As interest rates keep going up, people are going to get into trouble. And if people think interest rates are coming down anytime soon, there was something where there's some research done in New Zealand. And to our surprise, it's only the first home buyers who are always so happy and they're so optimistic all the time. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we think house prices are going to start going up again uh, because, um, yeah, the tide has turned. So, it's only two months, well, two months, because yesterday was the second uh, official cash rate announcement of a pause, but it's only two months, and people already think the market's going to turn, which I can tell you it ain't. So there's another uh, little bit of information out there for our listeners. This is off Trade Me uh, and some housing stats of how many houses are being sold out there. The average asking price in July this year has dropped to 833K. So 833,000, and it's down 8.5%. So that's a $77,000 drop from July 22 to July 23. And that's a national average, right? So Wellington drop was 11%, Auckland drop was 10.6%. This is the admitting numbers. So you can obviously understand there might be some bigger drops in there as well. So we've clearly highlighted 10, 11, 15% drops in housing already. Well, that's why it's such a blow on the psychology of people, isn't it? Because it's the, it's kind of an expression of making it in the world. It's a public display. It's out on the street of well, of wealth, of achievement. And when the tide goes out, that's that's quite a blow. That's a lot to cope with, especially if a lot of people are in that situation all at once. Exactly. I think you mentioned uh, parts of uh, it's it's a Warren Buffett saying he's uh, the most uh, world's most renowned investor. Uh, his company Berkshire Hathaway. It says um, it, it, it's when the tide goes out is you can see who was swimming naked and that's it. Yeah. Um, so the people who seem to be having um, really uh, great lifestyles. And I can tell you when I was in Melbourne as well, I've, again, you can't say this openly, but clients come and see you, they're driving Porsches, parking them outside 400, 450,000 Porsches. Everyone in the branch might think this guy's really rich and this and that. They have big businesses and all that stuff. But inside the room, you might be having a conversation with me that he's put the Porsche in the market for 300 and he still can't get it because he's defaulting on a loan elsewhere on the business side of things, right? So, there's, it's about perception. It's about being seen to be uh, rich, and they've got to keep up with that. But this is what I'm saying: is what happens, mate. Is it's 18, 20 years of since 2000s, interest rates is going down and down and down. So the person who's only about 30 years old or 35 years old, which is your average first home buyers. They only think that this is going to go one way. They don't have the life experience and have lived enough. As you said, you had seen in the 80s, the interest rates were 15, 17, 18%. These guys, if they haven't read up on it, have no idea that something like this could happen. And we will see over the next few years. They've kind of been lured into a trap. They have been. That's the whole thing. And that's not a nice thing to do to your, you know, aspirational population to kind of blindly, in a way, lead them into a trap. The culture has encouraged it, is what I'm saying. Yes, exactly. And the culture, yeah, the culture is to blame in a certain way. But, hey, it's also because it's, as I said, I've mentioned a few books out there called The Four Turning Reader. This happens in 20-year cycles as well. So people want to own their own house, right? And the media kept uh, throwing fuel on the fire by saying, oh, you guys are having your little... Um, 
what's that little avocado salads uh, or your sandwiches for 20 bucks if you only save that money you could afford a deposit on the house that that was literally an article i'd read in melbourne when i was <laughs> yeah. there they okay. pit the baby boomers against the uh, uh, uh the generation z so to speak and they said this versus that uh so the younger generation hates the baby boomers because they bought the houses for a hundred thousand and other houses are a million bucks and uh, the baby boomers say, hey, we worked hard. We paid our deposit. We paid 20% interest rates when we owned the house. And we, the first thing we did was pay off our mortgages, which is right in a way. If you think about it, the cultural differences, uh, our parents used to work hard and pay off their debt. First. Yeah, they used to try and bury that as quickly as possible. Exactly. And now everyone just wants the latest iPhone every two years. And you're constantly on that debt cycle. And as I said, they suck you in because they make everything so easy. Uh, in Australia, you get a free phone with your Optus or your uh, phone yeah. contracts. At least out here, you have to pay for your phone. Uh, now out here, I think in New Zealand, because the economy is smaller, they at least give you the phone, but they make it interest-free. But in Australia, they just give it free to you, right? But it's inbuilt into your plan. So most people don't see through these gimmicks and these games. They just want it now. It's, it's the convenience factor that everything, and that's what CBDC is going to be sold on. I'm telling uh, you convenience Absolutely. and people are going to buy it as well okay speaking of uh, mortgages exposure to mortgages i interviewed uh, dr jacqueline roweth who is an expert on farming and we had a good chat but one of the things she mentioned and i hadn't thought of it before was that in terms of banks exposure to mortgages yeah there's the um you know the residential market and you know all the first home buyers and and people who've going to take in revolving loans and, and leverage their rising house values, which are going, let's say, south, as you've just mentioned um, at the moment. But also um, there, and we don't talk about it much, um, I don't know if all of the banks, but certainly some of the banks here in NZ are very exposed to rural mortgages and rural lending. And I think you're going to tell us that one of the bank brands in New Zealand has announced that they're they're kind of winding that back. They're stepping back from that. Do you think the two are related? Um, it, it it could be. It could be. So first, we'll just touch on the first part, which you mentioned. What happens is in an economy, as I mentioned, not one bank will want to take over too much of a certain sector uh, to reduce the exposure and risk. Um, so, for example, um, let's say ANZ is the biggest bank in uh, New Zealand. Uh, because they're taken over, if you remember back in the days, what used to be the Lloyd's DSB uh, National Bank. National the green Bank. Color I used to the bank horse. the National Bank. You, you Me know, too. The, the, the horse, too. right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. So they took them over and they became the biggest bank in New Zealand. So their share, their, their market share of the housing market would be the biggest. But then again, some banks would go, what do we want to be seen as? So um, maybe BNZ wants to be seen as helping the agricultural sector, the farming sector, or ANZ might want to be seen as that. We have Rabobank in that space as well. So first of all, the sector dynamics. Uh, I can tell you from firsthand experience, uh, I won't name the bank, but in Australia, if it's commercial property, um, they do reviews every three to six months, and they might just literally say, no more lending to commercial property for six months. So you might have a client who's got a really good business space, but if their sector policy is breached, so again, I'm going into a little more detail on what happens behind in the books of the banks, but they have sector policies and sector ratios and all of that. 
and they might just say, okay, no more lending to commercial property for six months. So you might be halfway through a deal not signed off by your credit managers and the state credit team. And suddenly that client now has to start again looking at another bank because you're just tapped out. So you might be 23% of the New Zealand market, let's say, for example, and you're tapped out. This was in Australia, but I'm giving an example. But covering on the second part, which you said, there's an announcement, and I can name the bank because it's out there. It's Bank of New Zealand, it's BNZ, who has literally come out and said, we're not going to want to lend to any uh, rural lenders and farming. So I'm going to read this uh, statement. Uh, um, BNZ has set a specific target to reduce its financed financed emissions this is the word they use in the dairy sector and none of the other banks have yet right so the her name is rebecca kane she is bnz's chief sustainability officer and they are the only bank in new zealand who have signed up to it's called nzba net zero banking alliance which is part of the United Nations. So it makes you wonder why is one New Zealand bank stepping out to be seen as they are the one who wants to get away from, um, I don't know, supporting our farming and our dairy sector? Because they could be walking away from good, good business potentially there, sort of cutting your nose off to spite your face in a way. BNZ are owned by one of the yeah. Australian... National Australia Bank. National. So do you think that comes on, on high from there? or No, no, because in the same article, they clearly say that NAB has done the same stuff in Australia, but uh, it's more to do with mining. Remember what we said, BlackRock, United Nations, Agenda 2030, World Economic Forum. So banks will get marching orders. And in Australia, what is running their economy? Fossil fuels, iron ore, all of that. They used to ship off everything to China. During the global financial crisis, China was doing a lot of deficit spending, building ghost cities. They needed buildings and bridges and all of that stuff. So where was all the materials coming from? It was being dug up in Australia and shipped off uh, to China. And that is why Australia's economy actually did quite well um, during the global financial crisis. A little bit, New Zealand also did quite well. And that's why I said our economies were not as badly affected because China uh, was just doing a lot of deficit spending for these things, which means their consumer got richer, which means they were buying milk products and all that stuff, which flows on to our meat and stuff. But out there, NAV has cut off uh, the fossil fuel industry. So we've already mentioned this as well. They want to take us away from um, uh, fossil fuels and all of that, because even in, we've discussed it last week, New Zealand wants to go 100% uh carbon neutral and all that rubbish i heard somewhere that we're already 85 percent there so for the remaining 15 percent on, on electricity gonna... yeah on electricity yeah, Not total, yeah total energy but electricity yeah yeah but it, it just it's just ridiculous because most people this is finance so we'll get off a little bit off topic but i want to explain to people when when, when this younger generation thinks that uh, this is all electric cars and electric solar panels and stuff. Most people don't realize, as I said, silver is the best heat conductor. So silver panels, uh, sorry, solar panels take in a lot of silver. Uh, your car batteries uh, for the electric vehicles, the amount of uh, mining operations that go on just to create one battery, and there's reports out there um, saying that it takes about 12 years for each battery 
uh, the 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 mining operations for one battery. So they, when they tell us we're doing this for the earth, we're not doing this for the earth because none of it makes sense. I even give you an example of in Scotland they chopped off what is it, sixteen million or one hundred sixteen million trees, right? Yeah, to, <laughs> that's to, a to lot of trees. Fund. Exactly. Sorry. So in New Zealand, we're 85% there. Our farming industry is one of the most emissions-free one. But now our government wants to make it 100%, while countries like China and India and Asia pollute the world. So this is ridiculous. And this is what I'm saying. That is why they want a one-world government, because global warming can't be solved, or climate change can't be solved by one country alone, right? And that's why they- Well, that's what they tell us. National, yeah. And that's if you believe that. that. That's the other thing. You've got to believe that as well. It's all a lie. The whole climate change agenda is a lie. Climate changes even before we were born, our ancestors were born. um, You're not going to hear too many people arguing with that. Um, So BNZ are doing this because I mentioned, you know, that that point that our our guest, um, the um, the Dr. Jacqueline Roweth made about exposure to rural mortgages. And you can understand why they might feel a, a little insecure about that and winding back their lending there. But if, for the reasons that you've read out there that BNZ are stating, they seem to be willing to take a hit on their business for this principle. It doesn't really make business sense. It might it? not be a hit. It, yeah, it, it it doesn't. But as I said, it could be, they could be, this is what they might be presenting to the public, thinking it's a woke thing and they'll get um, brownie okay. points. Okay. But if anything, they're going to lose customers because if they were tapped out from a sector policy perspective, um, then the remaining farmers uh, or dairy farmers and um, the rural industry might leave BNZ saying, um, to hell with you, we'll go to one of the other banks. Rabobank has always been a very good uh, agri-business bank. I can uh, tell our clients that. Their cost of capital is also low. I'm not promoting one, but I'm just yeah. saying them and ANZ have been generally supporting uh, the rural industries quite well. Um, but just, just just in this article, if you think about it, this it has this NZBA, which is a United Nations uh, organization. It has 133 bank members from 43 countries, holding a combined US 74 trillion in total assets. Oh, Can you imagine how they're controlling all these money bits and pieces? Yeah, that's so much money. Which is estimated to be 41% of global banking assets. So now what has BNZ done? Just to get membership. Ah, join the club. They've joined the club. And if you join the club, it comes with emissions reduction targets. So they're the only bank who's joined joined the club. And now they have emissions reduction targets. Does that mean cheaper money through that network of banks? No, I don't think so. They're just trying Uh. to be woke. They're just trying to show, look, okay. look, look at us. We, we, we're trying to help uh, move the economy. Uh, or, or, the or could they target. use that, though, as when you mentioned, you know, like a, um, limiting sector exposure, you know, drawing a line under it, that would make good cover for for limiting their sector um, exposure without having to admit or tell anyone that they are. Well, exactly. That's why I said. So we don't know yep. what is exactly happening. But this uh, Rebecca Kane, she's uh, BNZ's chief sustainability officer. So she's obviously come out. Maybe the CEO and these guys have just said, maybe let's use this as an excuse. Or maybe they just see where the world is going. And they just want to roll over and not support the New Zealand economy. Instead, just uh, satisfy uh, the global powers that be. Maybe the announcement last week about BlackRock made them realize that maybe hey, there's no point supporting them because, again, some of us know where they're trying to take us, 
There's some organizations that will fight back eventually because their demise will be part of it. And maybe BNZ just goes, we know where this is going, so why why fight it? I, I don't know, yeah. mate. I'm not on their board. I'm not. No, this is all not. us just guessing, assuming yeah. what it is. We're but trying to read the tea leaves. We're trying to read the tea we, leaves. Here. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but just, just something in this article also, like the dairy farming sector accounts for 23% of New Zealand's annual export earnings, right? And 22% of our gross emissions. So what is right. wrong? It's not like it's contributing 23% to our economy, but 50% to our emissions. Well, so that's why it, I don't understand why you want to withdraw from, you know, the money-making opportunities that that that, um, that scale presents. Well, it's all money-making opportunity because the money doesn't exist in the first place. <laughs> Just never forget that. So the whole thing, never forget that. I'll keep bringing it up every single The money doesn't exist in the first place. It wasn't their money. It is our deposits that we lend to the banks. They're using their banking license to lend us money back at interest because they don't have the money in the first place. But maybe they see also, remember, I again, this is this just came to me, but a farm is sitting on their balance sheet. And if they know that if they don't lend to these, the value of the land might fall. Okay? Does yep. it mean BlackRock can then come in and buy well, that's what we always wonder, us suspicious types, and whether they've morning, positioned themselves for swooping in. Well, exactly that. And this morning, dairy prices are down again. Yeah, so... Okay. Can you connect the dots? So if, if I'm a bank and if I've lent money to the dairy sector based on, again, I'm not going to quote the exact number, but let's say $10 a litre or whatever that tons of litres is, yeah. But now suddenly for the last six months, the price is eight. My cash flow is gone. And if I'm a farm that had lent, had borrowed, say, let's say three million from the bank and the servicing the bank had performed was on me paying three percent interest, uh, three, three percent interest on three million dollars and me getting 10 percent, uh, ten dollars a liter. No, it's not a liter, but ten dollars a metric ton. Oh, or yeah, a kilo of milk solids or whatever. Yeah, yeah, something like that, right? So let's say that's dropped to eight. So I'm taking a hit on that front. Now my operating expenses have gone up because diesel's more expensive, and now the government's putting all these emission targets, which means it is more expensive for me to do farming. Now I've gone from a profit to a loss. Plus, my debt servicing costs have gone from three percent up to six and a half percent. Yeah, I as a farmer eventually just go broke. I have no chance to survive. So maybe BNZ seeing that because they do stress anal analysis on their own books behind the scenes, right? Just like housing, they do all these things as well. So they'll throw scenarios at $10 a metric ton, liter or whatever, the dry powder. Yeah. How many businesses on our books will fail? At nine bucks, how many of them will fail? At eight bucks, how many of them will fail? And there's risk parameters behind the scenes where they do all of this. So maybe they then went, oh, we think 20% of our book is going to go bad. Oh, farmers are going to default. They can't keep this sustained. So might as well join the NZBA, look like we're doing the work thing. We'll get ahead of the other banks. Again, I don't know. There's so many playing factors here. Yeah, yeah. But I've just shown you stress analysis on a bank's book based on interest rates going up, diesel getting expensive, the government putting more taxes on emissions, and the cost of your sold product is actually going down. So your profit margins are down and the debt servicing is high. There is no way but going bust for some some farmers with a lot of leverage. And that is why farmers in Netherlands are committing suicide as well. So this is your well, big agenda yeah, for food yeah. shortages. Yeah. Food shortages around the world. Um, yeah, gosh. Uh, so 
if the lending contracts, because you've mentioned it before, the velocity of money. So if lending drops, the money sort of roundabout, what, stops, slows down certainly, but stops. And doesn't this money system need the continual creation of debt as we've described, you've described how it it works on our talks. If that stops or, or grinds to a halt or, or or really slows down, and that velocity of money really, you know, slows down, what happens? Well, as I said, for the system to sustain itself, debt has to continuously keep growing because on the first hundred dollars, if the interest rate was five percent, we need one hundred five dollars next year. So the system has to keep growing, which means there has to be more and more and more debt globally. And that's why this train has just been going up. Now they have tapped out after the global financial crisis. They had to, they, they knew they had to increase more in, uh, loans, but how do you do that? So they had to drop interest rates close to zero and negative. Now it's the balloon is full, but the interest rates have to go up now because you can't go any lower so now the whole thing is the debt has to keep coming down because people will start paying off debt or businesses will go bust. Now, just slowing down a little bit, as you said, so when they create too much money, there's inflation. There's a deflationary spiral that comes in as well because you said there were so many businesses going bust. So if I'm a bank and if I give you a million dollar loan, I've created million fictional dollars in the economy, which creates inflation. And now you go spend it into the economy, it creates a ripple effect. It's called a multiplier effect as well. Now, when you go bust, Paul, if you're a business, as we said, the trucking companies and these builders going bust, when you go bust, if you were uh, given a million dollar loan, but you can only pay back 300, the bank has to magically write off. So when we say write off the debt, that's $700,000 of debt being written off, which means there's 700,000 more fewer magic digits in the economy okay so just explaining that one thing one creates inflation as i create more magic digits as a business goes bust the debt has to be written off or liquidated it has to be written off so there's less and less money being created in the system that's your inflation and deflation first of all the other thing is when people are starting to lose jobs people are scared to take on more loans so this is happening in china literally right now as we speak around the world there's inflation and people, uh, reserve banks are increasing interest rates. In China, just a couple of days back, they've actually reduced the interest rate because they want people to borrow more money. Because nine, there's been a 90, and, and I'm repeating this again, 90% drop in the amount of people taking loans in that's, July 2023. Yeah, that's, that's, that's so huge. It is, right? So people aren't going out there and borrowing because if they don't feel good about what the economy is going to hold. So they start reducing their debt and start saving money for a rainy day. When they reduce debt, as I just said, those dollars are magically dissipating. It's like striking out those dollars. Just like the bank created a million, suddenly yeah. there's a million being stricken off, which then causes deflation because there's less money in the economy and the prices of everything has to start dropping. Governments don't like that because if that happens, everything collapses because the system has to be on the inflation upfront rather than the deflation front. The second thing is as, as interest rates go up, people will have no choice, but they're tapped out as what their uh, interest re uh, loan repayments can be, as we've also explained. If I am a $100,000 salary 
and it doesn't matter. It's only when the interest rates are lower and lower and lower, I can take a bigger debt. As the interest rates start going up, I just can't afford anymore because I haven't got a pay rise. So my disposable income inc reduces, which means I can't sustain more debt, which is again a deflationary spiral on the economy. So this is all a self-sustaining loop. They're purposely increasing interest rates. They're telling us to fight inflation, but they're causing job losses. They're causing businesses to go bust. And the simple thing is, man, they want to kill small businesses. They want everyone reliant on the government handouts. And that's how they get the UBI and the CBDC. It's simple as that. I'm, I'm not sure if I covered most of it. Oh, you said something about velocity of money. So let me explain what velocity of money is. Um, let's say I go to a job and you give me 100 bucks as my salary. So I go out of that 100 bucks. Uh, I go and spend that 100 bucks. Let's say I have a wife and I kids and I take them out for dinner. So I hand over those 100 bucks to uh, the restaurant. Now, the restaurant owner is on his way home. Is He's got an empty tank. So he fills up gas at the petrol station. He hands over the 100 bucks. The gas station attendant might go next day to the supermarket and buy more so let's just say that same hundred dollar has gone around five times in the economy it's just, just the same hundred dollar so the velocity of that hundred dollar note was 5x now let's say for example i just got paid 100 bucks but i'm not sure of um my uh, future stuff so instead of me going out for dinner let's say once a fortnight i might now go for dinner only once every six weeks so first of all that first instance of me spending money has immediately stopped or if i'm going out for friday takeaway or friday dinner every every friday with my family i'll now do it once every three or four weeks that's your first drop so the restaurant owner didn't get it if the restaurant owner gets less money he doesn't go and spend that much or he's not driving home and filling up his tank that often he's walking and, <laughs> he's probably walking or because or, or, or the simple thing is he's not that busy. So maybe he takes his operations down to his restaurants only open three or four days a week right. on the busier nights, the Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights. So the velocity of money essentially means is how many times is that same note going around in circles? And the simple thing is the minute I feel that the economy is not going well, or I could lose my job. I start saving, which I just said, I'm paying down my loans instead of taking my family out for dinner every Friday. We'll only go out once a month instead. And that causes the velocity of money to drop. And since the 2000s, uh, you can Google it on the Fred web. It's called FRED, which is the Federal Reserve Bank uh, of America. And just type in Fred and velocity of money, and you can see a graph or a chart that keeps going down and down and down. It gets to a point where it gets, and this is why, again, I want people to understand why did they take us to zero and negative interest rates? We were already going into deflation. So for years, they've been printing all this money and the prices of everything was going down because of technological advances or even a house to build was cheaper. It took shorter. Instead of two years to build a house, it used to take a year because of technological updates. So everything was getting cheaper. But the government's debt-based system needs more and more money in the system. But so, so consumers, after the global financial crisis, uh, pulled in their wallets and they said, let's pay down debt. But the government needs you to go and spend it because they're collecting, remember, the GST and the taxes and all these things. And the system is built, the debt-based system is based on inflation. So they have to keep dropping interest rates for you to go and take on more debt and spend more money in the economy. But it hits a natural transition of zero. And then you get into trouble because the value of money can't be negative, which it was in Japan and Europe. And did you know that most of our banks sold off their life insurance businesses maybe a year 
or two years before a pandemic hit. I didn't know, Did that. You know that. No. Okay, so I've done the research on that. Let me bring it up next week. Most of our banks sold their life insurance businesses a year before the pandemic. All okay. four. Great, All four of them. Great timing. <laughs> All great four of them yeah. sold their life insurance businesses a year, year and a half, two years, and I've got the dates of who sold what. Yep. Yep. Before a pandemic hit. Now, again, this is not I'm again, this is just fun and games. This just think through. Did they know what was coming? Did they not know? Is it just because one of them sold the life insurance business? Did all of them sell that sell their life insurance? And business? who's paying out a lot of money right now, that uh particular sector? Okay, you know, let's talk more about that um next uh, Thursday. Another fascinating chat, Faz. And thanks again. Before you go, how about reminding the folk of your contact details one more time? Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, people, please reach out. Just jump on successsimplified.life. That's successsimplified.life. And um, on the page, it's also got the Money Talks link. So if anyone hasn't seen the previous uh, conversations, I've I've linked it back to one page where all of our chats are. So cool. they can go back to RCR's main page. And at the bottom will be a contact us. Get in touch. Uh, so please get in touch and I'll, I'll see if I can reach out back to you and help you guys. Look forward to next Thursday. Thanks again, Faz and Arani. Money talks. Hey, thanks, Paul. Cheers. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.